Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty great, actually. I normally record these intro bits either very early in the morning or very late at night, but due to a scheduling mishap, I'm doing this on a bright, sunny afternoon, and I gotta tell you, it's a refreshing change of pace. Looking up at that blue sky and seeing that flaming orb up there, is that the sun? Oh, oh shit. It's my neighbor Steve. He's throwing flaming tennis balls over the fence at us again. God damn it, Steve! I told you I don't have your fucking hedge clippers! Even if I did, that is a non-proportionate response. What the fuck, dude? Yes, we're still on for the barbecue on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, give Carol my best. Anyway, we've got a heck of a comic book to discuss today, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Brad Reed. If I could be honest and you all accepted the truth and the facts all about how the heck did that cat named Disaster go and shed fur nonstop since the 90s, never mind, let's enjoy a synopsis. Thanks, Brad. That is a Zen Cohen of a synopsis rhyme. Well done. New Teen Titans, number 37, December 1983. Lights out, everyone. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, inked by Romeo Tangal, co-plotted by Mike W. Barr, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call. Robin. Beast Boy. Raven, Wonder Girl, Cyborg, Starfire, Terra, Kid Flash, and featuring The Outsiders, whose members include Batman, Black Lightning, Halo, Metamorpho, Geoforce, and Katana. Previously in the New Teen Titans. In some of their earliest adventures, our heroes clashed with a cadre of costumed criminals named the Fearsome Five. This quintet of crooks consisted of Gizmo, a diminutive swashbuckling technomancer who can build pretty much anything out of pretty much anything else. Dr. Light, an asshole with a shitty goatee who controls light. Shimmer, a red-headed lady who can turn stuff into other stuff. Mammoth, a big strong dumb guy who is Shimmer's brother. And Simon with a P, a powerful telepath the top of whose skull is a glass dome with the world's worst ponytail hanging off of it. The Titans beat them up and threw them in jail. Hooray! More recently, unbeknownst to our titular teenagers, the gang's most recent recruit, a brash young earthbending orphan named Terra, has secretly been in cahoots with Deathstroke the Terminator, a super assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs, and plans on betraying her new teammates. Also, Robin, who has been acting like a real asshole lately, had the sudden realization that he has been acting like a real asshole lately. Gadzooks! Will Robin's newfound self-awareness make him any less of a petulant protagonist? How will Terra keep her teammates from unearthing her true treachery? And seeing as how he quit the Titans four issues ago, will Kid Flash finally stop joining them on missions and go the fuck home already? Stay tuned to find out! Okay, so, not so you'd notice, she literally runs away anytime someone asks her a question, and, no, no he does not. 
Gizmo is flying around New York on a jetpack he probably made out of a toaster and a half-eaten can of SpaghettiOs, singing show tunes to himself. He swings by the prison where the rest of the Fearsome Five are being held. Shimmer is being kept in some kind of a stasis field that prevents her from turning the walls into, oh, I don't know, tapioca, and escaping. Then Gizmo pops in and shorts out the containment field with some spoons and a speaking spell, so Shimmer turns the walls into tapioca and escapes. In a nearby cell, Mammoth decides that he's tired of being in jail as well, so he Kool-Aid mans his way through the wall. Turns out, he could have busted out any time he wanted to, but seeing as his sister was locked up, he figured he didn't have anything better to do, so he may as well stick around in the pokey too. On his way to the impromptu family reunion, Mammoth strolls by the prison cell of noted terrible goatee haver Dr. Light. Against his better judgment, Mammoth succumbs to Light's surprisingly effective combination of sycophancy and bribery and frees the bad doctor from captivity. And when I said the bad doctor just now, I meant bad as in evil, not bad as in competent, but seeing as it's Dr. Light, you can kind of take your pick. Simon with a P strolls out into the prison yard and uses his psionic powers to freeze all the guards in place. Well, I don't have my calculator on me, but I do believe that that makes... Wait, carry the two. Yes, five supervillains. Looks like the fearsome five are back. Shitty. Dr. Light tries to assert himself as the leader of the corrupt quintet, but everybody tells him to shut the fuck up. Hooray! The jailbreaking jerkwads head off to their secret New Jersey headquarters to tidy themselves up and change into their official bad guy duds. Aw, I was kind of hoping they'd just keep wearing their prison uniforms like the Beagle Boys, or the Hamburglar, or Aquaman. After gussying themselves up in their villainous finery, the Fearsome Five start leafing through a newspaper, presumably to peruse the classifieds to find a new member so that they can kick Dr. Light out without having to change the team name. But, before she gets to the back pages of the Underworld Star, an article catches Shimmer's attention and forces her to gaze off into the middle distance and reminisce about her past. Turns out that Dr. Jace is coming to town. Wait, who? Is it Jace of Jace and the Wheeled Warriors fame? Ooh, is Sawboss going to replace Dr. Light? Sadly, no. Dr. Helga Jace is a famous scientist who Shimmer and Mammoth first encountered in their youth. It turns out that when they were growing up in Australia, Shimmer and Mammoth weren't very popular. Possibly because of the lack of unnecessary apostrophes in their word bubbles, which denoted a flat mid-Atlantic accent, which is abhorrent to young Australian ears. But... More likely, it was the fact that the unpopular pair already had their superpowers and kept using them to murder or at least hospitalize their classmates. The superpowered siblings were so dangerous that their family was kicked out of town. Desperate, the parents turned to world-famous geneticist Dr. Helga Jace for assistance. In her infinite wisdom, Dr. Jace decided that the best course of action was to make the destructive duo of delinquents way more powerful. Uh... Okay. Any particular reason for that? Well, if Shimmer had any clue as to Jace's motivation, we don't get to find out. She is jostled out of her reminiscence by Dr. Light interrupting her story and saying, Yeah, yeah, childhood, Australia, whatever. Boring. Let's go steal stuff. Everyone tells Dr. Light to shut the fuck up. Simon with a P reckons that Jace sounds like a pretty useful person to have around, so he and the rest of the FF head downtown to kidnap her. Meanwhile, over at the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper, the gang is sitting around their T-shaped conference table, going over some team business. 
Once they finished discussing where to get more T-shaped notepads and T-shaped business cards, Tara pipes up and is like, Hey, you guys should all tell me your secret identities. I really want to know them for reasons that have nothing to do with betrayal. Now tell me now! I'm paraphrasing slightly, but honestly, she is about that subtle. For some reason, the Titans are like, Okie dokie, let's just take off these masks, and... Unfortunately for Tara, at that moment, an alarm in her bracelet starts buzzing. Bad timing. Wonder Girl asks, Why is your bracelet buzzing? Tara responds reasonably, None of your business! Shut up! I don't have any dark secrets! You do! And running out of the building. What a good spy Tara is. So unassuming. Apparently, the alarm is informing Terra that Dr. Jace is in trouble. The earthbending urchin hops on a boulder and flies off towards the source of the distress beacon. Hey, you know what this comic book needs? A larger cast of characters. I mean, we're nine pages in and we only have 13 costumed super folks to keep track of. What we could really use is another super team to show up. Well, good news! When Tara arrives at the building that the distress call seems to be emanating from, she is greeted by the Outsiders. Ralph Macchio and Matt Dillon and their pals? No, the other Outsiders. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall? No, the other other Outsiders. The ragtag band of misfit heroes that Batman threw together in the early 80s when he was miffed at the Justice League. That the Outsiders. So here's a brief and reductive description of the Outsiders team roster. Black Lightning. He has lightning powers. Also, he's black. Halo. She's a teenager with rainbow powers. Katana. She has a sword. It's probably magic, but it's definitely pointy. Metamorpho. He can turn his body into any element or anything else that's made out of elements, which is to say, anything. Batman's not with the team right now, and neither is their sixth and final member. We'll get to him in a minute. When Terra shows up, she figures the Outsiders have kidnapped Jace. The Outsiders figure Terra kidnapped Jace. The two sides introduce themselves and calmly and rationally discuss the matter, avoiding any potential violence that might have resulted from misunderstanding. Just kidding. Everybody fights everybody. The rest of the Titans show up and the tussle intensifies. Kid Flash and Wonder Girl recognize a couple of the Outsiders as heroes and try to calm things down, but it is a full-on Donnybrook at that point, so it takes a little while. Eventually, Donna manages to de-escalate the situation to the point that the two teams are just lined up opposite each other and glaring menacingly like they think they're on the cover of a comic book. As cool looking as that is, it's still a pretty tense moment. Then the Outsider's other member shows up. Geoforce. He has the same earthbending powers as Terra. He also has pretty much the same costume as Terra. He also has the same last name as Terra because he is Terra's brother. Geoforce, a.k.a. Prince Bryon of Markovia, has a tearful reunion with his sister Terra. Both teams seem pretty surprised, as I guess neither of the dirt distributors had chatted with their squads about their secret sibling. Beast Boy in particular is confused. You see, Terra had told him that she sewed her costume herself, but if Bryon has a similar costume, then she couldn't have. Wait, why not? You kind of lost me on that one, Beast Boy. Of all the slip-ups and clues that Tara left you that could have been red flags, this is the one that gives you pause? She has a brother who also wears a brown leotard. Whatever. The two teams join forces and poke around a little bit, quickly reaching the conclusion that Dr. Jace is nowhere to be found. Great detective work, guys. 
And speaking of detectives, let's check in on Batman and Robin, the two absentee nominal leaders of their respective supergroups. In stately Wayne Manor, Bruce Wayne and Dick Greason are having a heated heart-to-heart about their working relationship. Dick is like, I've been acting like a real asshole lately, and I'm pretty sure I learned it from watching you. I don't think I want to be crime-fighting partners with you anymore. Bruce responds, I don't want to listen to the things that you are saying right now, so I am not going to. The tumultuous tete-a-tete is interrupted by a phone call, informing the dynamic duo of what's been going on in the rest of the issue. The caped crusaders suit up and scamper off to join their super pals. Meanwhile, at an undisclosed location, the fearsome five are confronting a captive Dr. Jace. Light threatens her and tells her she'd better cooperate or else. Simon with a P interrupts Dr. Light and is like, Shut up, Dr. Light. There is no need to threaten. Threats are super rude. Instead, let me use my powers to telepathically torture our guest and also to break her glasses. After a few seconds of Simon with a P's telepathically induced trauma and eyewear mangling, Jace agrees to do whatever the five command. Shitty. I get it, though. Glasses are expensive. Back at the Titan Tower, both teams of costumed crime fighters have gathered. Despite having less information and powers than the rest of the heroes gathered, Batman immediately assumes leadership, which Dick resents, because assuming a leadership role for which he is ill-suited is kinda his thing. The Super Squad Summit is interrupted by a phone call from Police Captain Hall, the one character appearing in a Teen Titans comic book with any regularity who consistently behaves like an actual grown-up. Hall informs the heroes of a startling development that is likely related to their case. There was recently a break-in at a science lab. When the police arrived, they found that a bunch of stuff had been turned into other stuff. They also found a bit of implausible nonsense that was significantly less fun. A group of local homeless men had been transformed into mindless creatures who appeared to be piles of mud from the torso down. The gangs rush downtown to investigate these disturbing dirt centaurs. When they arrive, Raven uses her empathic powers on the dirt-legged demi-men and confirms the group's suspicion. The unfortunate vagrants, who now found themselves 50% firmament, owned their condition to the expertise of a terrified Dr. Jace, who was being coerced by those costumed crumbums the Fearsome Five. Dang. I was kind of hoping that a horned-up Zeus was going around disguised as a mud puddle or something. The Titans and their special guests investigate a nearby dive bar, where the pre-mudified vagabonds were known to frequent. After questioning the bartender, our heroes quickly learned that the unlucky gentlemen were recruited by the FF from this very establishment. Further investigation reveals that the criminal quintet left behind trace elements of a rare chemical, which Batman and Robin are able to analyze and trace back to a certain secret laboratory on a tiny island in Gotham Bay. Confident that they have, ahem, <clears throat> unearthed, the Fearsome Five's secret lair, the assembled 14 heroes rush off to confront the felonious Five. When they arrive at their destination, the armada of assorted adventurers find that their nefarious nemeses are ushering more unfortunates into some kind of a transformation chamber, which will presumably transform them into another host of zombified mud centaurs. Gross. Everybody fights everybody for a few pages. Surprisingly, the vastly outnumbered Fearsome Five are doing a pretty good job of holding their own for a while. Eventually, though, the numbers game begins to catch up with them, and the tide appears to be turning in favor of our plethora of protagonists. Hooray! Or not so hooray. Because just when things are starting to look good for the good guys, a timer goes off. The transformation chamber has finished its sinister business. 
This time, instead of human-headed dirt piles, the chamber has produced full-on Swamp Thing-looking shambling mounds, which start streaming out of the infernal Easy Bake Oven and attacking the heroes at Simon with a P's psionic behest. While the Titans and Outsiders are struggling with their firmament-flinging foes, the fearsome five hop in an escape pod. Simon flicks a switch, and suddenly, the shambling mounds, both teams of superheroes, and the island itself are sent plunging to the ocean floor. With an evil, tight-lipped grin, Simon with a P confidently declares that the Titans and the Outsiders are dead. Well, that sucks. Guess I'm going to need to find a new series to cover. Hey, maybe I could do Batman and the Outsiders. Oh, right. Well, shit. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I was a little sleepy, but I've had a coffee with some other stuff in it, and I feel pretty good now. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So, what'd you think of the comic? So many people. So many people. You know how in the winter in Portland, the skies are gray for like six months in a row, something like that? Mm-hmm. And then in about... Usually February, I'd say, you'll have like one day that's super nice outside and you'll realize that even though the weather hasn't been that bad, it's just been a little bit overcast and a little bit gray and overall pretty good, not that cold. You realize that you miss the sun so, so much. Yeah. That's what this issue felt like to me. George Perez is back. Yay. And it checks off so many of the George Perez boxes. It's like, okay, George Perez is going to do an issue. What do you want it to be? Well, I want it to be the Teen Titans. Well, okay, it's a new Teen Titans comic. Of course the Teen Titans are in it. What else? Uh, the Fearsome Five, which still, sadly, not an old school rap group, which I think is a missed opportunity. Oh, God, I just thought of what if Dr. Light tried to freestyle. Oh, no. It would be the most embarrassing <laughs> thing in the universe. No. He would almost certainly start it off with, well, I'm Dr. Light and I'm here to say. Yeah. And then somebody would just punch him in the face. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. That Gosh, would be the worst. So. But other George Perez boxes that get checked off, he's like, hmm, okay, so New Teen Titans, mm -hmm. check. Fearsome Five, check. Can I draw upwards of 15 costumed characters in this book? Good news, George Perez. There are 19 goddamn costumed characters in this book. I was going to joke that there was 20, but... So close. There might be a 20th that I, I missed. There I was, was going a man with in the a team green, a green suit and tie. It was all matchy. Who was that? He was the dude in the morgue where the... Oh, yeah, I thought he was Terry Long at first. Earth people were. Oh, really? Yeah. You're like, man, he's let himself go. Well, to a certain extent with comic books, less so with George Perez than with other artists, but you end up going with like Hardy Boys rules with character identification, where you're pretty much just going by age and hair color. Old man. Yep. Yeah. That guy's old. That guy's blonde. That guy has brown hair. Mm -hmm. That guy's fat. Fair enough. Isn't that a Hardy Boys thing? Oh, yeah. They're, they're husky pal Chet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, fair. That's yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't just throwing that out there randomly. No, I thought you were talking about the Terry Long stand-in. Oh, no, no, no. Chet. I was, Wait, talking, about, I was talking about Chet. <laughs> then I can dig it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as I had said, the, the art in the past couple of issues we've had has been by Keith Pollard, and it's been very good, and I've really enjoyed it. And it's got the inks by Romeo Tengal, which have kind of tied things together. 
but having George Perez back made me realize how much I missed him in these, like, two issues he's been gone, and it was a little thing, but just the first appearance of Gizmo and the puffs of wind in the background, I was just like, oh shit, that's George Perez, and this looks right. Also, there wasn't the random, like, oddly drawn faces. Yeah. Was, that was the other thing that was absent from this issue that I was like, oh, that's nice not to see that one random panel where you're like, hey, that doesn't look like so-and-so. Yeah. So, good stuff. You ready to dive into the nit and the grit of this shit? I think we should try. Okay. Okay. Best of luck to us. So, overall, pretty fun issue, I thought. Agreed. Let's start getting into the various characters, because like I said, we've got 19 of them to cover. So, we can skimp on the Teen Titans, because honestly, there's not that much Teen Titans. We'll get back to the few of them that get a little bit to do at the end. Mm -hmm. But let's start with the Fearsome Five. Okay. This is maybe my favorite appearance of the Fearsome Five so far. It is almost definitely my favorite appearance that I've read so far of Dr. Light. He was super fun in this, I thought, honestly. In that you liked how he reacted to being shot upon by the other people? (laughs) There was that. But he comes across in this as kind of like he did in the issue where both he and Hawkman were guest stars. He comes across as a craven coward who is super full of himself. But it's turned up to a degree that I I thought it was really fun. Mm. The scene where... The other members of the Fearsome Five aren't going to bother breaking him out of prison. And he has to bribe Mammoth. And first he's like, I can give you some trinkets, a cookie. Oh, okay, fine. Maybe some money. Mm -hmm. I liked the fact that while the others have these grandiose plans, he A, wants to make sure that he is in charge and just assumes that he will be. And nobody else makes that assumption. Mm -hmm. And I liked that he's just like, yes, yes, whatever. I want to steal things. I want to steal things, and then I will have more money because I like to steal things. There are a couple of exchanges he has with Shimmer and Mammoth. Simon has just informed Shimmer and Baron that their old buddy Dr. Jace is back in the United States. And Dr. Light's response is, Forget it! We've got crime to plan! Money to steal! Stuff to do! And then she launches into their backstory and how they knew Dr. Jace. Mm -hmm. And when they are probably about two-thirds of the way through the story, he interrupts and says, Yeah, yeah, I love stories. Now if you're finished, let's plan our next caper, shall we? Mm-hmm. I liked that. I thought he was pretty fun. There was a nice little dig against him, too, where I can't remember if it's Simon or, or Chimmer says, Come on, my friends. And you too, Dr. Light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I got that, too. I thought that was pretty fun. Let's talk about Simon. Mm. That guy's a fucking dick. Such a jerk. So mean. Just mean-spirited also. Mean and unnecessarily so. Like, he seems to keep forgetting that he's a telepath. Like, he doesn't need to torture Dr. Jace to get her to reveal the information that he wants. He's a fucking telepath. Can he just go in and steal the thoughts out of people's heads, though? I think so. He could before, couldn't he? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure. Maybe he was augmented by Trigon at that point or something. When he was like Trigon's little stoolie. I mean, I commend Mammoth and Shimmer for being like, no, Dr. Light's not our leader. But like, Simon's a dick too. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like him. 
Yeah, I don't like him either, but he's a good bad guy. So, like, I didn't I didn't think about the ability for him to read minds, but his way of getting the information out of Dr. Oh, J's... Oh, it like, is it was, chilling. It was pretty brutal, but also super effective. Yeah. He was just like, you know what? Fuck all this. Talk. I'm going to hurt you real bad for about a minute, and then you're going to talk, okay? And then he does. Yeah, I guess. He broke her glasses. He didn't need to do that. I'm not saying he's a nice person. He's yeah. a big jerk. Good criminal. Okay. Between him... And Dr. Light, who is not wearing his hat in, like, half of this issue. Who has the worst hairstyle choices? We have Simon's shitty little stringy ponytail. And then we have Dr. Light's weird shaggy bowl cut and terrible, terrible goatee. Which is worse? Uh, I think I gotta go with the skullet, but... Man, it is such a tough decision because there are certain panels where Dr. Light's the shitty goatee with that kind of shaggy bowl cut, there are certain panels where it looks like he also has frosted tips. I think it's just like the way that the light is hitting his hair, but it, it was giving me like flashback douche chills to the 90s. I was just going to say, it's like he's like <laughs> a, a guy that was in a 90s band that, let's say he's like an Art Alexakis. Is that how you say the Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he like has that, that kind of thing. Mm. Like... Now he's in, like, a Gin Blossoms tribute band. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And I thought Simon was mean. (laughs) Jeez, man. Ouch. It is, man. Touch and go on who who wore it worst, I gotta say. (laughs) Because Simon's shitty ponytail, coupled with having the brain in a bubble, just a bad look, especially the fact that with his psionic abilities, most of the time when he appears someplace, it's a projection of him, which means he chooses to look that way. Mm Mm-hmm. And Dr. Light, too. He's a master of holograms and light shit. Like, these people look this way because they want to look that way, and that is just chilling. Mm. Couple of characters who fare a little bit better sartorially. We have Shimmer and Mammoth. Mm-hmm. They were super fun in this issue. Yeah. We get Shimmer literally turning a room into tapioca because one of the guards had mentioned that that was something that she could do. And she's like, oh, you want tapioca? Okay. Boom. We get Mammoth, who had apparently been in captivity only because it didn't occur to him not to be as long as his sister was held in captivity. Also, apparently didn't occur to him that he could just bust her out of captivity. Yeah, I thought about that for a bit, and I think it was just trying to underscore his not being very bright. He is a real, real dummo. Mm -hmm. He is also, as is Shimmer, apparently Australian. I know, that changed. I was like, oh no, I've been reading their voices wrong this whole time. Well, it's not our fault. We've been fucking ripped off. Where were the apostrophes? Um, I I feel like we have been robbed of a great, great opportunity to have terrible, terrible Australian phonetically spelled accents. And that is very out of character for Wolfman to just casually drop that a character is Australian without having them have, like, they should be named, like, Brumby and Dingo. (laughs) They haven't said Crikey or Struth once. Mm. And as I said, there should be an avalanche of unnecessary apostrophes coming out of those two. I I feel like we've been robbed. It's a disappointing uh, revelation. Mm. Well, from now on, I'm going to at least privately think of them until I forget to as Dingo and Brumby. (laughs) The Struth twins. (laughs) What is Struth? Struth. Oh, I don't know that one. It's an exclamation. Hmm. Like, uh, crikey. 
That one I'm familiar with. A Brumby is a wild horse. That's good to know. I was thinking it was like a marsupial, but... Oh, man, I wish they had a marsupial horse. Oh. Get to work on it. Come on, Australia. <laughs> Make a marsupial horse. Do it, do it, do it. I had some coffee, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see that. It's truth. Uh, Gizmo's pretty great. Gizmo is super fun. He uh, he sings uh, show tunes and just flies around and really captures the like freewheeling, swashbuckling fop of a character that he is. And I love Gizmo in this issue. Mm-hmm. He's effective, too, for the most part. He's very effective. He busts them all out of prison and then they are dismissive towards him because his teammates are uniformly either stupid or douchey. Mm-hmm. It's cute how he sits on Baron's shoulder, though. That is cute. You want to talk about The Outsiders? Yes. Okay. Were you familiar with The Outsiders before? No, I wasn't. I didn't even realize Batman had, like, a crew of... Ragtag uh, band of misfits? Yeah, I didn't know this. Yeah, it was in the early 80s. I think they were just kind of trying to capitalize on team books and Batman. And, hey, here's a bunch of characters that we aren't doing anything with. We'll create a couple of new ones and go. Mm-hmm. Motley crew of characters, not like the band Motley crew. Right. I don't, although we do find out that apparently Black Lightning accidentally killed someone. So he has something in common with Motley crew. I don't think that the bystander who got killed by Black Lightning was a member of Hanoi Rocks, as far as we know. But holy shit, I didn't know that about the Vince Neil oh, yeah. deal. Yeah. But. In general, not that kind of Motley crew. <laughs> no, no, no. No shouting at devils. No. I mean, I, I, I suspect they would not give the devil a warm reception. They're the right they speed heroes. for love. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Appropriate speed for love. <laughs> they're not on their way home, sweet home. <laughs> uh, theater of comfort. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Dr. Feel Regular. <laughs> I'm sorry, probably Mr. Feel Regular. Uh, okay, okay. Mm. Yep. Yep. Okay. Individual members of the group. Did you have a favorite? Hmm. I think that uh, Black Lightning's clothing was really cool. I liked that. I liked his power of throwing the lightning bolts around. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that he had pretty much a whole shirt. Yeah, it's, it's the early 80s. It's a brand new era for Black Lightning. Okay. Yeah, I like Black Lightning. This isn't my favorite era of Black Lightning, but he's one of my favorite characters, and I think he does pretty well in this. You mentioned that you liked his clothes. Were you aware that his afro is part of his clothes? That is his cowl that he wears. What? It is attached to his mask. He has a fairly short, regular haircut in general. It's part <laughs> of his. Di- Why would you do that? It's part of his disguise. Oh. It's that and code switching. Basically, he. Like, he uses more slang and more apostrophes when he's in character, uh, and it's part of his disguise. And I think it's kind of a neat touch. It's a good disguise. He is a, I believe, high school teacher. Later, I think he became a high school principal. I know in the new TV show, which is actually very good. I haven't seen it yet. You should check it out. Mm. He is a high school principal, and at one point, I believe in the 90s or early 2000s, he was secretary of education. Under President Lex Luthor. Oh, no. Yeah. DC Universe is a crazy place. 
Can you imagine electing an unqualified businessman to be president of the United States? What could go wrong? Only in comic books. Only in comics, geez. Uh, but yeah, Black Lightning is, is pretty fun in this, and he has a nice moment where he, he is recognized by Kid Flash, because they had worked together in the past. I believe back in the 70s, actually. We get to see Metamorpho. Had you known him beforehand? I had not known him beforehand, and, and he was another one that I really appreciated. I thought he was cool. I liked how he turned into just like a big silver, I don't know, igloo thing. To uh-huh. Make. Like a cloak, kind of. Yeah. Like, just, yeah, just covers like, him up. I'm made out of metal. <laughs> take that. Yeah. Although, kind of short-sighted of him. She controls the Earth. He should have maybe anticipated that she could tunnel through it. Mm. But... Overall, he's great. He was actually created by our old friend Bob Haney. Ah. Which kind of explains some uh, shit about him. Yep. I love Metamorpho. One of the things that I really like about him is he's the same age as, like, general superhero age, which I think at the time was established that, like, Superman, Batman, all of those guys are, like, 27, 28, something like that. Hmm. He's the same age as them, but because of the nature of his powers, his face looks older. And I think writers have just written him as being older because of that. And so, like, despite being the same age as Batman or Aquaman or any of the other heroes, he comes off as kind of a cool uncle, but mm. also a cool uncle who's kind of sick of your shit. Mm. He's got kind of a craggy face and he's just a rough and tumble middle-aged guy is how he comes across. And I really enjoy having that counterpart, especially where you have some much younger members on the team. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, we get Halo, who I kind of think of as the anti-Raven. She also has magical nonsense powers, but hers are rainbow powers. And she can make different light blasts that do different things, like create a stasis field or whatever. And she is very optimistic and naive and youthful. Mm-hmm. And so, like, kind of an anti-goth. And I like, there are some interactions between her and Raven that I really enjoyed. She seemed like a super 80s oh. archetypical, like, she was like a light, bright hero, like, rainbow uniform, rainbow totally. hair, yeah. gem. I think that I think that's fair. We have Katana, who's a sword lady who's named after her sword, and kind of kind of Wolverine-y, I would say. Woman of action, for mm-hmm. sure. No time for bloodlust. Let's yeah. mess things up. Yeah, I have a sword. I'm going to use my sword. I slice things with my sword. I'm named after a sword. I'm a sword! They drew the pommel of the sword in the style of a Chinese sword, which really bugged me because she was supposed to have a Japanese sword because the, the name is Katana. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's, I'm glad you noticed Right that. blade, wrong handle. Hmm. Bad job, Perez. Wow. In that one instance. First demerit that I, I can know. Think of. I know. I mean, it was drawn beautifully. It looked awesome. But yeah, just, I, I know, but, call but still, thing, yeah, five that's... points from Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair, I guess. Yeah, he could be Gryffindor. Geoforce. So, yeah, this puts Terra in a bit of a pickle. It does, and it's a confusing pickle for her to be in. We don't know necessarily what her true backstory is, but what from what we have, she is the illegitimate daughter of the Markovian king, right? And she was kind of, she had to flee the country at some point because the queen wasn't cool with her existing. Mm-hmm. Bryon, which is Geoforce's altered ego. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be Brion, but I like to say Bryon. Yeah. So Prince Bryon is the legitimate heir to the throne. I'm confused as to how he even knows or knows about Terra. 
it doesn't seem like the king would be like, well, I can't let your mom ever find out about my illegitimate offspring, uh, and I'm keeping her a secret from the whole country. But I think you guys need some quality sibling time, so I'm going to have you hang out. I don't know how they would even know each other. It, it seems odd. They have matching uniforms. They do have matching uniforms, and apparently that is a plot point. Uh, maybe Dr. Jace gave them the uniforms? Beast Boy certainly seems confused about the whole thing, because Tara told him that she sewed the uniforms. And Tara is very concerned that this reveal, or the fact that Dr. Jace gave her her powers, or helped get her powers, is going to unravel her web of lies. And maybe so, rightly so. I don't understand how it would do that. I don't understand why she wouldn't... Here's the weird thing about Tara. It seems like she is very bad at subterfuge in a lot of ways, despite the fact that she is succeeding at it. Yeah, and I guess it's because anytime somebody tries to catch her in one of her lies, she can just be like, Shut up! Go away! You guys are mean! I'm leaving! Yeah. And, like, walks off. Yeah, it's a bad look, man. Like, have a backup story. Effective, though, also. It, it seems like, to be oh. effective. It is... Yes, it doesn't make sense that it is effective, but you are absolutely right. But this could be the end of that, because it seems that this is an issue where I am reminded of formative <laughs> fictional detective media, because I think that this whole thing seems to be operating on Bugs Meany logic. Bugs Meany being the antagonist of the Encyclopedia Brown stories, because it seems like in all of those stories, there would be a thing where Bugs Meany was wrong or lied about this one detail of his story, therefore I have solved the entire thing. Seeing as Ter Tara said that she was eating cherries today, but there are no cherry pits in her wastebasket, therefore she has betrayed us all to Deathstroke. <laughs> oh, or she just doesn't know how to eat cherries. Exactly. Maybe, maybe Bugs Meany is just gonna be pooping some cherry pits later. Encyclopedia Brown. Yep. It's all hearsay till you have the evidence. Exactly. So who else is members of the Outsiders? Well, there's Batman. So, yeah, I guess he's their leader. He's the member. The way he is written in this is so similar to the way that Dick is shown being the leader of the Teen Titans. I actually really appreciated that. Yeah, except Dick gets to be all righteously indignant that Batman hasn't revealed his true identity to his uh, underlings. Yeah, because Robin is so good at secret identities and when they should and shouldn't be revealed. Although none of them have still revealed their identities to Terra. Also, they are five issues into Batman and the Outsiders now. Four at the time that this one came out. So I think he would be used to Batman being a little more secretive. There is a fun interchange between Batman and Robin going on throughout this whole issue, though, where Robin has told Batman that he doesn't want to be partners with him anymore. Uh, specifically, I think that he doesn't want to be a junior partner to him. And I think that's a really big moment for him. And you see Batman pushing back against it. Mm-hmm. And also Batman being like high-handed and dismissive of Robin in the exact same way that Robin is high-handed and dismissive of his teammates on the new Teen Titans. And it actually really works well for me, at least, as character development. And I dug it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't think Dick will ever realize that. No, sadly. But at the same time, you do see him being like, look, man, I've had 11 years of this shit, like, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm a competent member of, of my team and the leader of my team. And also, your crazy vigilante-ass stuff has got me off on the wrong track. I almost 
went off with the world's worst district attorney and did <laughs> yeah. some really bad shit. And, and I don't want to keep doing that, so I'm out. I love that Robin drew the parallel between Batman's behavior and world's worst district attorney Adrian Chase's behavior. And yeah, I think that that, that was a defining moment for him where he was just like, man, this Adrian Chase guy, he's a real asshole. Kind of reminds me of, oh shit, that's what Batman's been doing. Mm -hmm. God damn it. I mean, Batman hasn't been shooting people, so that's nice. Still, that kind of single-minded thirst for justice. What, yes, what he sees as justice. <laughs> you sounded more like, not Wilford Brimley, what's the actor with the gravelly voice who's in the roadhouse? Ben Gazzara? Oh. oh, Sam Elliott. Yeah, Sam Elliott. <laughs> ben Gazzara. He plays a great bad guy. Yeah, Ben is great. Here's to Ben Gazzara. Let's talk about the Titans a little bit. Wally, go home. Go home already. Just fucking go home. I, I feel like we're going to be saying that for a while to come now, but the fact that... Yeah, but, 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 but Raven. But Raven, <laughs> that one time. Raven. Oh, God. And why does he still get to vote on shit like revealing their identities to Terra? Because he's, you're, you're cause he's the team. very Stop fast. Having a he's vote. very fast, and it's and it's a one of those. It's like the bullshit power. Mm. Having a vote. <laughs> he's very he gets fast. extra votes because he's very fast. Yeah. Oh gosh. I feel like yeah, that is probably his excuse for everything. Anytime anybody asks him any questions, he's like, I'm very fast. And they're like, oh, good point. Yeah, we might need him. Right, okay. yeah. You can vote again, Wally. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Second vote. Well, well I, guess, I guess we're revealing our identities to Terra. Only, whoops, somebody's at the door. We'll reveal them tomorrow. They've been about to reveal their secret identities to Terra for the last, I believe, five issues now. So she's working with uh, Terminator. Yeah. I guess knowing that or revealing that to him makes them easier to find and kill, and that's why she wants to know? I like, guess, but the fact that Deathstroke hasn't been able to figure out what their identities are really takes him down a peg in my estimation. Only to 95% of brain power? I'm thinking that guy's using maybe 73%. Oh, no. What's that, like a high, like a C minus? Yeah, it's a C minus <laughs> percent of his brain. Dang. I mean, it, we're grading on a curve, so it's still an A+, because we're only using 10%. Not mm. true. <laughs> <laughs> ah. But yeah, I mean, he could at least figure out some of their superpowers. I think like a third of them don't even have secret identities. and Like he's yeah. at the salon, he's reading Cosmo, he sees the ad for the jeans. He's like, man, that really looks like Starfire. Weird. Yeah, but she's got those sunglasses, must be somebody else. Mm. With orange skin and yeah. fire hair. I talked about this a little bit. I was a guest on Jane Miles Explain the X-Men this Monday. Oh, yeah. How'd that go? It was great. It was really fun. Uh, that episode will be coming out on this following, I believe, Sunday or Monday. Cool. So watch out for that, listeners. But we talked about the fact that everybody in comic books reacts to disguises the way that a lazy bouncer at a sleazy bar would react to a fake ID, where it's just like, uh, I guess I'm not really convinced by this, but it'll be a whole thing if I, if I recognize it. So I've got plausible deniability. Go ahead. I feel like it's either that or everyone in both the Marvel and DC Universe has that uh, disease from the Oliver Sacks book, where it's the man who mistook his wife for a hat, where they only can recognize people contextually. Mm. So that's why just any disguise works. I don't think I've ever in 
the whole time doing this podcast, there's been a reveal where somebody's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, nobody's ever figured out a disguise. I would be curious to see some sort of actual study done where they put little domino masks on people and then show them <laughs> to people they know and be like, is this your brother? No. <laughs> Can't be. My brother doesn't wear a domino mask. I, I don't know. Like, maybe there is some psychological thing where... Maybe, although I wonder if that would extend to, like, in the 90s, like, when people were wearing more eyeliner. Was that was that a whole thing in the DC universe? Where all of a sudden, everybody was just like, oh, shit! Like, hey, have you seen... Wait, oh, no, hey, man. <laughs> Sorry, didn't recognize you. We're thinking about... What were we talking about? <laughs> yeah, Raven doesn't really do a ton in this issue. Does she? Debatable. What do you think she did? Well... For one, she realizes that Trigon's pull is, for whatever reason, waning. Okay. And because of that, she is less afraid, despite Wally's lame protestations, uh, to use her powers for the greater good. Yeah. So that's a whole thing. And it seems like then she should sense at least the inner conflict in Terra. Or that Terra is evil, if Terra is evil. That's the thing, though. I think she's had to evolve a way or find a way to not just constantly scan. Right. Because like, otherwise her brain would just explode. Like, we talked about this before. Like, if you Yeah, being a telepath minds, would be horrifying. Like, the worst thing ever. Yes. Right? So she just shuts it down unless she's like, okay, I need to... It seems like that her empathy doesn't work that way, though. Because when she is approaching the group of the outsider, she's like, I sense that these people aren't evil. I think she was trying to figure out what was going on. Right, but I mean, she could also, if she was trying to figure out what's going on with this scene of people, Tara is standing right there. Like, unless there is an active blocker against people that she already knows. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like a, a, a whitelist, blacklist thing. I don't know what that means. Like whitelist, like these, these things are allowed. Blacklist is like these things aren't allowed. Oh, okay. So that's like, like you said, they're tagged. Huh, interesting. Do you think it's because the whole... Her starting off with a nip manipulating Wally's emotions and yeah, she's that just they're like, being like, she's okay, like, HR, talk to me. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not allowed to influence my teammates' emotions. My bad. Didn't know. Grew up on Azeroth. Uh, I've had to attend some workshops, and I, I'm just gonna steer clear and avoid the whole thing. Teammates totally off limits. Which I think, unless she chooses to like turn it back on consciously, is a wise move. Oh yeah, no kidding. I think that's a good call. Because she would have just strangled Wally by now. Oh, man. That bird self would have grown little... Her bird soul self <laughs> would have grown little arms like Nighthawk's costume. <laughs> and just reached out and throttled the dude. Yep. Sorry, Wally. It's my costume. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> I've talked to you how, in, in my mind, the voice of Raven is like the ghost of Doctor Strange. <laughs> it's You do have a... There's a lot of crossover. There was a really fun scene early on when Shimmer is escaping from prison with a character who's kind of an extra, but there was a fun reveal about her where there's this like shy Midwestern girl who doesn't want to go into where the the evil supervillainess is being held captive because she's a scared. Mm -hmm. And the kind of asshole prison warden lady being like, you're a trustee, you'll do what you're told. Which I only know the thing of referring to inmates as trustees from the movie The Longest Yard, the the Burt Reynolds one. But I was like, oh man, I, I, I feel bad for this character. I hope that jerkwad warden lady gets her comeuppance. And boy, does she. Shimmer then does escape, turns everybody to tapioca, 
Not turns everybody to tapioca. Oh, oh it's turns every real dark. For turns everything there. to tapioca. Although she does reference the fact that when she was an adolescent and was being bullied by people, like she's like, "Yeah, I turned walls into gasoline." <laughs> it's like, oh, so you and Mammoth killed a lot of children when you were young. Yeah, yeah, creepy. So there's also a big logical flaw in this because the whole reason that they're bringing the apparently innocent midwestern girl into this area uh-huh. is to feed shimmer because right. she's got like a lunch tray uh-huh. and then when she walks in the warden says oh you don't need to be afraid she can't even blink because of this stasis right so how's she eating in. yeah what are they gonna just like wing? just fling food at her <laughs> bloop, bloop. maybe yeah. i told you that warden seemed like a jerk mm-hmm. but then yeah everything turns to tapioca and shimmer's like you could escape now you could go back to your midwestern home and o'hara the apparently shy, apparently Midwestern, who has previously proclaimed her innocence, says, Oklahoma? Hell, I'm going back to Newark to kill the rest of my lousy family. I know, scary as like, shit, right? Damn. <laughs> Damn. Speaking of scary as shit, what do you think Dr. Jace's deal is? She loves dirt. Yeah, apparently, because she gave Geoforce and Terra the same powers, or mm-hmm. amplified them, or whatever, but... Shimmer and Baron's recollection of her is that she was someone who could amplify or augment existing powers and make people more powerful. She also says that her and Mammoth used to have powers when they were growing up back in Australia. It's truth. <laughs> that was maybe the worst Australian accent I've ever done. And that is saying something. <laughs> Sometimes when uh, my friend Nick and I, uh, who's from England, were working at the at Nicholas's together, uh, we would pretend to be Australian because people were completely flummoxed by the fact that someone with a non-Lebanese accent was working in a Lebanese restaurant, mm. and so they would have no idea where he was from. Mm. Uh, and somebody guessed that he was Australian, and then we adopted terrible Australian accents for entire shifts. Sometimes, mm. really fun word to say with a terrible fake Australian accent, tabouli. <laughs> Gaff us some more tabouli, mate. Oh, man. Struth! Did anybody ever call you out on being a fake accent person? No, I mean, I don't think we were fooling anybody, but no one said shit. Oh, man. Yeah. The customers were like, oh, I like Bonnie Python too. I... Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, pretty much. But when they were growing up back in Australia and having presumably terrible phonetically spelled out accents, right. probably eating tabouli, she talks about the fact that she was like transforming walls into gas and things into other things we see scenes of mammoth just backhanding hordes of classmates likely to death or at least very severe injury and dr jace decided to go and make those guys more powerful what is her fucking deal that seems like a bad and fully dangerous move like these two teenagers have killed a lot of people with their superpowers I think I can make them more powerful. Maybe she's just bad at what she does and she was trying to make them less powerful. I don't think that's her deal. I mean, that was certainly not the perception of what she was doing. It it is discussed that... And I had always had my matter-transmuting abilities. When we were annoyed, I would use them. Alter the ground into paper, buildings into gas. Then they tried to drive our parents out. We were... Oh, sorry. I've been messing that all up. (laughs) We went away, didn't we, Selena? There we go. Went to Dr. Jace. She was famous even then. You see, like, she had been perfecting a method of genetically infusing people with great powers. What the fuck? 
Bad move, Dr. Jace. And then, yeah, I guess she's, like, super into dirt, because she gave Terra and Bryon their dirt-shaping powers. Right. And then I guess she's like, huh, matter transmuting and dirt. Simon's like, yeah, give me some of, a little from column A, a little from column B. I'll turn people into dirt people. Yep. And send them out to do my evil shit. I don't blame her necessarily for that. She had been coerced and tortured horribly by Simon. But her initial plan, we know of four people that she has given superpowers to. At least three of them are nominally bad guys. I mean, I'm including Tara in that. Mm -hmm. We know that she's a traitor. Sure. Brian seems like a stand-up guy, but that's not a great track record. It doesn't show the best judgment. No. There's also a lot of poor shaming in this book, it seems like. Hmm? The people that get turned into, like... Oh, the dirt monsters? Dirt monsters are all homeless people who have been living at shelters and such. So they were all drunks. And they are identified... Yeah, they're all drunks. They are identified by Captain Hall as known indigents. When they are shown, Dr. Light is talking to them and saying, like, uh, we're going to do some medical experiments on you. And they're like, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, I'll give you money, money you can use to buy alcohol. And they're like, sign me up. They're very vague about it, though, because one of them in the audience is like, how much? And he's like, bucks. <laughs> like, how many big bucks? And they're <laughs> and like, like okay. oh, okay, well, as long as they're big. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, shit, now I'm a dirt monster. This sucks. <laughs> Dirty dirt. <laughs> we don't get this yeah, I don't appreciate dirt. that portrayal of them. Okay, <laughs> of the dirt monsters? Yeah, that is, that is written. That you just yeah, That I interpreted what okay. was there, man. That's harsh. Yeah, not, not cool guys <laughs> that, that aren't me who decided that. <laughs> But also, like, the bar that they hang out at, like, Starfire talks a lot of shit about that bar. I've worked in a fair amount of dive bars. I kind of like the atmosphere. But she's like, there's dirt all over the floor. Yeah, it just got trashed by dirt monsters. Yeah, that seems a little unfair. Yeah, totally unfair. Well, at the end of this story, all of the Titans and all of the Batman and the Outsiders have just died of drowning. And uh, the Fantastic, or the Furious, I mean, the Fearsome... Five. I'm so confused. Who the, died of drowning? Well, the Teen Titans and the Outsiders. And the Fearsome Five oh, oh, okay. just like walk gotcha. away and are like, well, they're all dead now. Now we have to go conquer the world. Got it, got it. So I guess my question would be, what series do you want to do next? Like, yeah, I guess this is the end of the Teen Titans, yeah. so uh, you want to do like Rom the Space Knight, maybe? I, I think, think that you, could did, be you fun. did that already, no? We well, started it. We could go back to it. Um, I liked some Rom. Yeah, uh, maybe... Uh, Geriatric Jiu-Jitsu gerbils. Yep, I think now we're going to start the world's foremost preteen dirty gene kung fu kangaroos podcast. Adolescent... Radioactive adolescent black belt hamsters. That's it. Hamster vice. Hamster vice. You want to include samurai penguin? We probably have to. Yeah, I think we really should. And then the Boris the Bear, the backlash against the yeah, um, yeah. the mutant series. Right. That's so I, guess that, I don't no. think that'll be as fun as... Well, I mean, I think there's a Batman and the Outsiders issue next, so maybe it's just a funeral for these characters and we get to see how the DC Universe will get together and mourn the collective loss of these two teams of young heroes. Mm -hmm. Or, since they're under the water, Aqualad will rescue them all. Oh! Or at the very least, drag their corpses around underwater and show them to various fish and say, Who did this? 
<laughs> fish is gonna be like i don't know man i'm a fish yeah i think that was what happened when he was trying to solve trident's murder <laughs> yeah pretty much well would you like to move along to the minutia I think we should. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like hitting up first? Let's talk about panels. Okay. So much. it off with a banger. What was your favorite panel? Man, there was so much good art in this that I feel like I say that a lot, especially in the Perez books. It's hard to narrow it down, but I did narrow it down to two. As did I. What were your two? The first one is on page 21, and I call it Heroes Attack. I had that one also, and I called it Here Comes Everybody. Yeah. Because there is a Portland band named Here Comes Everybody, and that's that's also what's happening in that panel. Yeah. Yeah, it's rad. It is the two assembled teams. They're not all represented, but a number of them are, and they are just Kool-Aid manning their way through the Fearsome Fives wall. But it is a cool panel. Batman and Robin are front and center in it but then the various outsiders and titans are gathered around them what was your other favorite my other favorite was on page 24 and i called it the simon mind blast Ooh, that is a cool one yeah and i don't like simon so i didn't i wasn't excited to pick him but it's really cool the way they, they drew it yeah his head is encircled with some kirby styles pink cosmic dots and then radiating outward from them are line drawings of the titans and outsiders faces but they have little pink radiating lines all through them Mm -hmm. and it is really really cool looking it is very well done my favorite panel and i think i am going to say it's my favorite it's a smaller moment but it is on page 20 and i call it detective twinsies batman and robin are both using their various utility belt devices like some kind of like high-tech jeweler's loops to look at this fragment of material from the wrecked bar. And it's just a fun moment where they're both doing their detecting in the foreground. And you see they have the same approach to things, but also Batman is kind of taking a paternal view of things that Robin is resenting. And it's a nice panel. Mm. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Corey. Yes. What was your favorite sound effect? Oh, there was a lot of really good ones in this, too. Yeah, I had three main favorites, but yeah. I had three main favorites, too. I think the one that wins it for me, and this is a little weird, is I'm not 100% sure how to read it, but the way that it was drawn was super cool. Do you mean the foo-oom? No, I didn't have that, (laughs) but that one I'm pretty sure I know how to read it. The one that I was confused about was on page 16, and I think it's... That's when the doctor yeah. is getting tortured by Simon. Arr, arr. It's uh <laughs> it's a very skinny panel and coming down it is A A H H R R R R. So it is either A H R R A H R R or A A H H R R R R. And it could be read either way, but yeah, either it like either way, it is a noise of torture. And it is a super nice, the whole like bottom half of that page shows that the torture sequence and it looks gnarly. You get a close up of an eyeball. About that is a just bad time. Pop out. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, we are told that her blood is literally boiling within her for just a few seconds. Powerful words. Mm-hmm. Powerful. We talked about Fu-Oom. We have the ever popular Spam. I had that as well. And we have Frack. I had that as which well. Which is fun. I think I'm going to go with the foo-oom. 
the way the word is broken up just made it extra fun for me because mm-hmm. it's F, three O's, and then an image in the center, and then three O's and an M. Pretty good. Yeah, both that and the R had a really cool graphical quality to them that mm-hmm. just, they were part of the action. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I, I like the incorporation of that as well. Corey, did you notice a timestamp in this? A segment of dialogue or caption work that lets you know exactly when this comic book came out? I had two. One is more general, and the other was pretty specific. Okay. Both of them came from Gizmo. Mm-hmm. The more general one was, and I may be wrong about this because you mentioned show tunes earlier, but I was pretty sure Gizmo was flying around singing the Mr. Rogers theme. No, he was not. Dang. He was singing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, Oh, What a Beautiful Day, the opening song from Oklahoma. Oh, okay. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. I heard it. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. All right, so maybe that's not the greatest timestamp. But the other one I have, I'm pretty sure works. And that was the contraption which he has rigged up to bust um, the bad guys out of jail. Yeah, to disrupt the field that was harnessing Shimmer. It's pretty awesome. Uh Uh-huh. It kind of looks like a gun with a light bulb at the end and uh, three spoons taped to it. But the integral part that is the timestamp is the E.T. speak and spell... Uh huh. Made by Texas Instruments in the 80s. Yeah. It is a cool looking device, and it is one of the things that I love about Gizmo is that that is what his power is. He is like a super MacGyver. I mean, three spoons. I know. Of exactly the right size and shape. They gotta be the right size and shape. It's amazing. Otherwise, you just got a pile of trash. Mm-hmm. But you wire those up to the ET speak and spell. Oh, shit. Here I, comes tapioca. I, I actually remember the speak and spell, but I don't remember an E.T. like branded version. Did it have e- the E.T. I'm voice sure they. I'm sure they did. There was so much E.T. marketing stuff. Yeah, I just don't think... It, I think it just had that computerized sounding voice. I don't think it had that like E.T. like, um, ouch, like the way that he talked. I mean, he kind of did sound like the computerized voice, like if the batteries are running down. Hmm, it could be. Yeah. I had noticed that as well, and that was my primary timestamp. The other one that I had is also more of a generalized one, which was Captain Hall referring to the homeless people who had been kidnapped as indigents, because that is a word you just don't hear anymore. Their different eras will have different words for what they call the the systemically impoverished. And there's like, if it was much older, it would have been hobos or transients, which... When my mom was growing up, she thought that the word was train gents because they rode the trains. And I think that's really cute. Yeah. Uh, But the fact that the word indigent is used by Captain Hall, I think, sets this as being like early 80s or earlier. Mm. That was my timestamp. Good call. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozone. Was there an instance in this comic book that you noted of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically? (laughs) Now those horns mean that we did indeed have a double bozo in this episode, a double natural bozo in fact. The two characters who called other characters bozos quite literally were... Gizmo, calling the other members of the Fearsome Five, Mm -hmm. you bozos. He says, 
hey, bozos, we can talk later back at HQ. Yep. And Metamorpho on page 11, who says, in reference to Terra, so she's getting a bit of her own bozo medicine. Not bad, bozo. And she says, what? And he says, I said you're not bad. Of course, you're not that great either. And then he turns himself into a giant cloche. Zing. Yeah, that'll teach her. And yeah, those were our bozo moments. There were some other fun moments in there. One of my favorites was, I think, a somewhat unintentional bozo. I don't know how I would necessarily categorize it. But when the two teams meet up for the first time, Starfire says, they certainly look strange in reference to Raven saying that they weren't evil. Like, those are somehow synonymous. Mm -hmm. And Halo responds, so do you. Don't you have eyes? Which I thought was a pretty fun thing to say to Starfire, whose eyes are green and pupilless. My other favorite, and this one to me, it very much is in line with calling somebody a bozo, and then it's Gizmo calling the rest of his crew turkeys. Yeah, and I agree. I think we should bring back turkey as a word. Thing to call people. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. I mean, it's a genuine insult. Turkeys are weird-looking, dumb birds. Well, domesticated turkeys. I mean, obviously, your wild turkey is the smartest bird we got. Smartest we got. Yeah. <laughs> hear that? That's a gobbler. Oh, boy. Gobbler. That's the, hearing that gobbler is the best medicine for having to cure your diarrhea. Like, it's like being on a drunk. <laughs> uh, for those of you wondering what the hell we're talking about, well... For the most part, so are we. But specifically <laughs> in this instance, we are referring to the fantastic Errol Morris documentary, Vernon, Florida, which I believe is still streaming on Netflix. So you guys should go watch that. It's only an hour long and it's tremendous. It is a hoot. Or a gobble. You mean this is reality? Oh, I never thought of that. Sartorially speaking, which instances of fashion do you feel are worthy of note in this issue? So, it was nice to have so many costume characters that there was a lot to choose from. There really were. And we talked a little bit already about Black Lightning and Halo's outfits. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, Black Lightning has much less of a deep V than his shirt did in the 70s. And it almost looks as though he just put on a shirt under his costume, which he had not before. Mm -hmm. It was like he figured out, like, hey, I don't have to go totally bare-chested. I can put on this, this white... Yeah, I'll just undo the top two buttons of this white button down and put that on under my shirt. Yeah, and those those were the two characters that I had, and specifically Halo. I thought her look was super cool, but also super 80s. Yeah, very, very, I, I believe you mentioned rainbow bright. Yeah, I, I get that. And the, the, her hair is dyed in bits that offset the same coloration on the, the stripes of uh, blue and kind of magenta on her uniform and yellow. Really cool. And I noticed those as well. There were a couple of more minor characters that were not wearing superhero costumes who I wanted to comment on their outfits. Captain Hall is wearing a nice bright purple suit. I had that also. Which I gotta believe he's gonna get some slack for that. Some slack? From the press. I mean, not some slack. Some, some static. Some flack. There, there we, we go. go. He might get some slacks from the press. Like maybe they'll be like, oh, you can't be wearing those purple outfits. Here, put these on. <laughs> You need purple slacks. Um, he does have some purple slacks, though. Uh, or suit pants. I don't know if those technically count as slacks. I don't like to think that they do. I don't know, man. Yeah. But I liked his purple suit. I thought it was good. There is also one of the Australian bullies who is getting slapped around by Mammoth as a child, who also, Mammoth is wearing a black t-shirt 
that is tucked into his jean shorts and some uh, some high socks, which is an interesting look for the young lad. But he is backhanding a group of seven people. One of them is wearing a red vest over a black t-shirt that has yellow sleeves. Mm. And I'm like, that's a pretty cool look. That's like pre-cross colors, but I think it might be predicting them. It's mm. a nice outfit. Mm. I liked it. Yeah, pretty cool. Corey, every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. Who you got? Let's start with the worst. Okay, who was the worst Teen Titan? I'm tired of Wally. I'm tired of picking on Wally, so I'm picking somebody else. Okay, but also, Wally, just fucking go home. Yeah. I don't like that Tara's bad guy. I don't like that she's lying to people. Mm-hmm. I don't like that she's trying to start fights with the outsiders for no reason other than to maybe make it so that the Titans don't figure out her backstory or whatever. Yeah, I, it was confusing as to why she decided to fight them. I think she was trying to rescue Dr. Jace, but they each thought the other people was the people who had kidnapped her. It's, yeah, it's confusing, but... Needless confusing violence. But not only that, now that her brother, Brian, is mm-hmm. in the picture... Her, she's just doing a bad job. We discussed this before. Yeah. Somehow working, but she's she's not doing only a, bad a terrible guy. job. Yes. Yeah. And the web of lies, I believe, is going to begin to unravel. And I think that her brother is the beginning of that unraveling. And so, bad job, Tara. Yeah, she's doing a terrible job. She, I, I agree. I had her chosen as well. She's doing a bad thing badly. Um, oh, boo! That's a philosophical conundrum. If you're going to do a bad thing, it's better to do it badly, but. At the same time, you should always do your best. Yeah, and maybe she's doing her best, but her best is terrible. <laughs> or terrible. Oh. And that is why I agree she is the speedy. Conversely, who did you have as your Aqualad who is the best Teen Titan in this issue? This may surprise you, but for the aforementioned reasons of recognizing the reduced influence of Trigon and then being freed up to solve the mystery of... What did she solve? I don't know. What did she solve? Oh, the origin of the uh, dirt monsters. Oh, yeah. Uh, Raven. I picked Raven. Yeah, I think Raven did a pretty good job in this issue, and I like that she is uh, having less compunctions about using her powers again, although it would be nice if there were... I, I assume we will get some narrative reasoning of why Trigon's influence is lessening. Like He's busy. Yeah, but maybe we'll find out what he's up to. I don't know. But yeah, I thought she did a pretty good job. I actually went with Wonder Girl. There were a couple of low-key moments where I thought she demonstrated that she is, in fact, in many ways, the true leader of the team. They they still always call Dick the leader, but when the Titans all show up to rescue Terra, she's the one who comes in and is like, in a very matter-of-fact and very authoritarian but still kind tone, tells Katana, hey, put the sword down. I think so, that's kind of always been the case with Wonder Girl, where it, when there's that sort of uh, power vacuum, Dick's not stepping up, she does so. Yeah, and she does a great job. She says, Miss, I strongly urge you to put down that sword. And I really enjoyed that. And then also, when they are going into battle, and Beast Boy is being flippant about how much they outnumber the bad guys, and how easy a fight this is going to be, Beast Boy says, Deadly Schmedley, we outnumber him three to one. Donna says, maybe so, Changeling, but don't forget, we fight to stop them, they fight to kill. So we both get, in terms of conveying the proper attitude in de-escalating situations when they need to be de-escalated, she also recognizes 
and helps reinforce to her teammates the tactics that they're going to be using and what they need to be working, watching out for. And I think she just does a great job, and I think that she is the real leader of this team. I agree. She was my backup cool. for those exact reasons. That's all of the things. Well then, Corey, I am left but with one final question I must put to you. Corey. Yes? Wapoot! Indeed. In the year of our Lord, 1983, and the month of our Lord, December, what was Aqualad probably up to? I will tell you that Aqualad was bummed out. Oh, he sure was. Why was he bummed out? There was plenty of things to be bummed out about. Indeed there were. In December of 1983. But he was bummed out because he lost a bet with Aquaman. Oh, no. Consequently, he was spending the rest of the month scrubbing meticulously not only the outside, but the inside of the dome. Oh. Over there, uh, over the, you know, the dome. Right, right, over over Atlantis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big dome. It's a real big dome. The bet that he lost was about the Australian Open. Oh, dear. He didn't bet on Yvonne Lundell, did he? Of course he bet on Yvonne Lundell. Oh, what Vlander? Who would not have bet on Yvonne Lundell, eight-time champion? I, I would never bet against um, against Mott's Vlander. Well, nor, nor uh, would Aquaman. <laughs> and, you know, that's basically what happened. They had a little friendly wager. It's nice to know that Aquaman and I have similar taste in tennis players. I wonder if he also was a big fan of Stefan Edberg. Probably. And, uh, and Yannick Noah. Probably also. I don't know who those people are, but but it sounds like something he would be into. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> I think that's plenty. That's the most cheerful thing I could find out of. Well, you were right about Aqualad being bummed out, and he did indeed have plenty to be bummed out about. In addition to losing his bet by betting on Yvonne Lendl to win the Australian Open, Aqualad was also pretty bummed out because we've talked about Aqualad being a bit of a movie buff. Mm-hmm. And two of his favorite movies were Dr. Strangelove, or Why I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, mm-hmm. and Blazing Saddles. Ah. And on December 8th, Aqualad was sad to note the passing of one Slim Pickens. Oh, damn. As Commander Kong in uh, Dr. Strangelove, he rode the bomb down onto Russia like a bucking bronco, mm-hmm. waving his cowboy hat in the air. And, uh, yeah, he was the right-hand man of Headley Lamar in Blazing Saddles. And Aqualad was like, oh, that that makes me sad. So what he did was he called up his old buddy Wonder Girl, who, as we learned in previous issues, has some army connections. And he found out that there was going to be some nuclear testing done at a test site in Nevada the following day. So as an homage to Slim Pickens, he decided to... Bronco-style buck, a nuclear bomb, as it plummeted to the Nevada test site. And he had, well, he had Wonder Girl swoop in at the last moment and snatch him off of the bomb. Uh, But it was a tribute to Slim Pickens, and uh, that test took place on December 9th the next day, so he didn't have a long time to think things through, but uh, he thought it would be a fitting tribute. A weird one, and... uh, as we know, Aqualad not a huge fan of the military-industrial complex, mm-hmm. but grief does strange things to us. True. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Damn. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. This was a hoot, or at the very least, a gobble. Smartest bird we got. Uh-huh. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. 
If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or whatever the fuck iTunes is calling itself these days or whatever podcatcher you use to listen to the show, well, I think that would be a right nice thing for you to do on whatever iTunes is calling itself these days. We are up to, I think, 95 reviews, most of them five stars. And uh, goodness, this is a kind of random landmark, but I think it'd be really cool if we could get to 100. When we get five star reviews, it changes something with logarithms or something and uh, makes us easier to find and helps more people find the show. And uh, I would like that to happen. So thanks in advance for doing that. I would also very much appreciate it if you could go to our Patreon site and uh, make a donation. I'm going to alter it this week. I recorded a bonus episode of Lisa and I talking about the Defender's appearance in Howard the Duck Treasury Size Edition, and I have been having trouble finding time to edit and write about that one. We recorded it several months ago, but uh, if we reach the next goal that I'm going to set, I'm going to change my work schedule so that I have more time off, and we are going to do an episode of that every month, and I will get that out to everyone. So if you would like to hear that show, then please make a donation at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. I think that'll be cool. And uh, you should listen to Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. Full stop. You should just listen to that show. It's a wonderful show. And in addition to that, I am on the episode of it that will be coming out next week. So you should specifically listen to that episode. Uh, We talk about Rom the Space Knight and the time when Magneto fought Captain America for possession of the world's tiniest man. And it was a ton of fun. And uh, I would urge you to check that out. But also just in general, check out that show because it is wonderful. Is that all of the things to say? That's all the things. Okay, well, they're all set now. Goodbye! And they knew it! Maybe we could do a whole podcast about Skate Man now that the Titans are dead. That? Like, we, just do, one episode? <laughs> no, we would do another episode for each panel. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It'd be like one of those minute-by-minute movie All podcasts, right, except sure. for a panel-by-panel Skate Man podcast. You guys. <laughs> you guys are in oh, for a boy. treat. Woo. Anyway. R.I.P. Titans. R.I.P. We'll miss you. Goodbye.